welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We are going to be continuing our Ephesians series. We started it many weeks ago. We've had a bit of a break because of Easter and Dan Leanne coming and Matt McGaw coming. And, and now we're back on point and we're up to part seven of our Saints Among Sinners series. Basically, this was a letter written by a man by the name of Paul. And he was writing it to a local church to help them stay on point as Christians in a very non-Christian society. And I believe that uh, this letter to the Ephesians is very poignant to us because by and large, we live in a very non-Christian society. And so the advice that Paul gave to the Ephesians is very helpful to us today. And I want to start by way of telling you a little bit of a story about my upbringing. Some of you would have heard this already. But as a young boy growing up, I grew up in a certain home. And as with every home, it had a certain culture. Everyone say culture. That didn't sound like everyone to me. Everyone say culture. culture. Good, 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 good. Had a culture. In other words, I was not born with a culture. I was born into a culture. I was born into a very English culture. Yes, I was born in Australia, but the culture of our house was very English because my mum and my dad were both very English, God save the Queen and all that, and they immigrated from the UK to Australia in November 1963. They landed in Perth the day JFK was shot. They then moved to Adelaide, bought a home in Parahills, and they've been there ever since. We grew up in a very English home, which is why we speak English. I don't speak Polish. I don't speak Japanese. I don't speak Chinese. I hardly speak English, but that's all I've got. We speak English because I grew up in an English culture. The certain foods that I acquired a hankering after were the ones that I was given as a young boy. We, on our Sunday and Tuesday and Thursday nights pretty much had a roast. And it consisted of roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. I mean, we just, we just had it more often than not. We just, we just loved our roasts. In actual fact, I didn't know anyone ate any differently. Such was the strength of the culture in which we grew up in. Being English, my mum and dad always drank tea. And so from the age of about 18 months, two years, I've been drinking tea. It's still my favourite hot drink today. I'll have a coffee, but tea outdoes coffee any day of the week. All you coffee connoisseurs, you'll miss the point. The best coffee doesn't match the worst tea. It's culture. Here's the thing, if I was born into another culture, maybe my likes would be different. My language would be different. Many things about what I do and say would be different. 
We're all born into a culture. We're not born with a culture. We are born into a culture. Each and every one of us, whether we know it or not, was born into a culture. And that culture helps shape your thoughts and your attitudes towards life, towards people, towards work, education. All the thoughts that you have came from the culture that you were born into. And here's the thing, when we become Christians, the Bible refers to it as being born again. So we were born once as a child, but when we became a Christian, we were born again. And just like the first time we were born, we were born into a culture. When we were born again, we were born again into a new culture. Born the first time into a culture. Roast beef, Yorkshire pudding, talking English, drinking tea. That was the culture I was born into. When I got born again, I was born into another culture. And that is the culture of the kingdom of God. And this new culture that I was born into has messed with my thinking Ever since. It has messed with much of what I was born and raised in. And there's this inner battle every day of my life as to which culture am I going to embrace. Hence where the battle is. It's an inner battle. What causes fights and quarrels among you? It says in James chapter 4, verse 1. Is it not the battles and desires that rage on the inside of you? Which actually says that the problems you have is not the person sitting next to you. It's not the person preaching to you. It's actually the person you look at in the mirror. There's this inner battle and it's a clash of cultures. When Kath and I got married, there was a clash of cultures because she was raised one way, I was raised one way. We grew up in a very male-dominated home. We had two brothers. There was a dad and the toilet seat, for the most part, stayed up. <laughs> that was the culture of the Rainbow household. When there's more men than women, the, the toilet seat stays up. It's a culture. It's the way we rolled. It's the way we did Life. <laughs> and, and then I got married. I mean, what you've got to understand is when there's five people in the house and four of them are, that's 80% male. Toilet seat up. When I got married, it was 50-50. 50% male, 50% female. And there was this clash of cultures. Every day. I'll be like, what's the toilet seat doing now? Put the toilet seat up. Catherine, what's the toilet seat doing now? Put it down. And the first week of our marriage was argument over the toilet seat. We never, we never received any pre-marriage counsel about the toilet seat. In actual fact, the two biggest things I had to get used to in marriage never came up in marriage counsel. One of them was learning to sleep in the same bed with someone I mean, I'm like a sprawler. I mean, you know, if I'm in bed, I'm just like this, it's my, you know. I had to learn to share a bed. 
Like, well, woman, I love you, but get away. Just, I want to just, I know I'm irresistible, but just give me some space. Anyone else find that like that? I found that really hard. It was really hard sharing a bed. I mean, I enjoyed the benefits of, of sharing a bed. That was awesome. But like, you know, when you want to sleep, just like, just leave me alone. Just, just, I just want to sleep. You know, I just want to, just want to sprawl out. Just, you know, just get on my tummy and just. Anyone else sleep like that? I was like, but you know, and then I'll never forget after a week, Kath had an accident. And I, I, I should have been, I should have been more disappointed. I should have been more disappointed than I was, but she ended up in hospital. She had an accident, she fainted and cracked her head, and, and it was horrible. It was, honey, it was horrible. But I'll never forget that first night she spent in hospital. I went to bed that night and went, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm sure I should have been praying for her. I'm sure I should have been visiting her, but I'd gone a week pretty much with interrupted sleep. And I just, I just, oh, it was, it was, it was one of the best night's sleeps I've ever had. <laughs> no one ever warned me about that. No one ever warned me at the toilet seat. And then I realized I can whinge about this. I can complain about this. We can go on and on and on about this forever. Or I can embrace a new culture. I had to come to the place in my marriage where I was willing to surrender. See, that's what marriage is. It's an ongoing surrendering. When I got married, I took myself off the market. I surrendered my life to one woman. But in living with her, now I'm surrendering my life to her ways. Are you getting this? So in marrying her, I surrendered her, my life to one woman. But in living with her, I had to surrender my ways. And I remember thinking, why should I have to put the toilet seat down? Why can't we leave it up? I mean, this is, this is, this is your pastor speaking. These are the issues I had. I had a lot of issues growing up. And I remember God just clearly interrupting my whinge, and it was a whinge, with this thought. What's more important, the marriage or the toilet seat? And when you put it like that, it gets pretty silly real quick. And from that moment in my life, one and a half weeks into our marriage, I surrendered my old ways to a new and living way. It was toilet seat down. It so got into me, whenever I go into a male-dominated home, it annoys me that the toilet seat's up. I'm like, the toilet seat should be down. I will, I will go into bat for any woman that wants the toilet seat down. I'm on your side, girls. I mean, I have, I'm a convert. I'm a convert. I'm not changed man. And you know what I found it did? In surrendering my life and surrendering my ways and embracing the new culture, you know what it brought? Peace. It brought peace to my life. Many Christians do not live in peace, although peace is available every day of their life. 
It's available, but it doesn't mean you're living in it. And the reason we don't live in it is because we're fighting God on his ways, and that gets pretty exhausting. I mean, fighting my wife over a toilet seat got pretty exhausting. But fighting God is far more exhausting. And I've learned in the time that I've been a Christian, it's best just to surrender your life to his ways. The reason so many Christians are miserable and they look like they've been baptized in lemon juice and all those things is because they are miserable. Because they're fighting God and the new culture of his kingdom. And Paul writes into this when addressing the Ephesians. And I want to pick it up in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 right now. And so this is Paul's advice. Having laid a great foundation of who we are in Christ and all that Christ has done for us, he says this, and he says some pretty strong words. He says, so I tell you this, and I insist on it. This is not a suggestion. Paul is saying, I insist on it. It sounds just like my wife. I insist on the toilet seat being down. Paul's saying, I insist on it in the Lord that you may no longer live as the Gentiles do. Who were the Gentiles? Gentiles represent all those outside of Christ. All the non-believers, non-Christians, all those that are far from God and disconnected to Him. He said, do not live like they do. Because their thinking is futile. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity... They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in your attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger... Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing, Pete Rainbow, must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that we may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up in accordance to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, compassionate to one another. 
forgiving each other, just as you are in Christ and God forgave you. The main theme here is one of walking in the light. Paul highlights the difference between the Gentiles and the Christians. He said the Gentiles' way of thinking is all wrong. See, my job as a preacher today is to help you think differently. Jesus was brilliant at helping the disciples think differently. Often Jesus started his teaching with this thought. You've heard it said this, but I want to tell you that. My job is to help you think differently. Which is why sometimes you get offended. Which is why sometimes you don't get it. Which is why sometimes you get downright mad. Because I'm messing with your psyche. I mentioned before, every day of my life, this new kingdom, this new culture that I found myself in, it messes with my old way of living. And it may do so for the days of my life. But it's about ongoing surrender. And Paul was saying, don't live like the world. Don't live like those that are far from God. For in their thinking, they are ignorant. They are insensitive. And they are immoral. And the result of their living is darkness. And with the help of those on lighting today, I want all the lights in this place just to go out to prove a point. It's probably just as bright in here because of all the phones still on. <laughs> Paul is drawing a picture for us of what it is to live life in darkness. In darkness, by very nature of being darkness, makes things hard to see. And when things are hard to see, accidents can happen. I mean, I'm up on a stage here and I've got to be very careful as I walk around because I could easily fall, trip and stumble. And that's what Paul was saying here. The result of their thinking is darkness. And in the darkness, we don't always make the best decisions. And in a darkness, it renders us useless because in order not to make mistakes, we end up just doing nothing. But then Paul changes tact a little and says, but you, however, don't live in darkness. Because of Christ, you have been enlightened. And so you're not stumbling around, as a Christian, you're not stumbling around in the darkness. You have the Word of God lighting up a path to you. And when others don't know where to go or what to do, we do. We know where to go because we can see. We know where the danger is. So we stay away from it. 
We can see where the good places are so we can be drawn to it. But we can also use this light to help others see and to shine a light for them. And this is the church on mission. We're not just using this light for ourselves. We say, hey, hey, come here. Come this way. Walk in the light. And so we need to be able to speak the truth with grace. And people in darkness miss the point because they're not thinking correctly. And with the light that we have, we want to highlight to them the foolishness of their thinking. And yes, there's always the risk that we could be misunderstood. And sometimes we're misunderstood because Christians are just rude with the light that they have. I mean, I can present the edge of this cliff, the edge of this stage, in a number of ways. But I believe what God would want for us is to use the light to help people. And say, hey, buddy, look, see that? If you walk this close to the edge, there's a good chance that you're going to fall off and hurt yourself. Can you see that? Can you see how far it is down there? Can you see that if you keep walking the way you're walking, eventually you're going to fall over the edge? And I don't want that for you. Now, as Christians, we can't stop people. We can't make them. All we can do is shine a light. And some will listen and some won't. Yet nonetheless, unfortunately, there are many Christians that get tired of being the light and they start listening to all those in the darkness and so no longer shine their light. And so Paul is encouragingly rebuking the Ephesian church not to live like those Gentiles. Not to think like them, not to talk like them, not to act like them. And he reminds them that they've received a new culture He reminds them that in this new culture, you've got to put off some things and you've got to put on some things. In this new culture, there are things you can do and there are things that you should not do. There are certain things you can do in Australia that you can't do in New Zealand and vice versa. It's a different culture. It's a different law of the land. You can't just go anywhere in the world and do whatever you want. You have to comply with the law of the land, the king of the land, the president of the land, the prime minister of the land. And so if we can have the house lights back on for the sake of being able to see all your precious faces. And so Paul highlights five things, five areas 
He addresses five areas. Now, I don't know why these five areas, maybe these are the ones that were causing the most problems, but there is a longer list than this. But the first thing he addresses is that of lying. And the great way that Paul does this, he doesn't just say, don't lie. You know when you go to the swimming pool, the public swimming pool? And I remember as a young kid going to the Parahills swimming pool, the first time I ever went there, I found myself on the bench. They benched me within the first five seconds of getting to the pool. Do you know why? Because in my excitement, I was running to the change room to get in the pool as quick as I could. And because I was running, they said, Oi, stop running. And they benched me. I had to sit on the bench for about 10 minutes as punishment for running. And then they got me to read through all this big, long list. And it said, no running, no jumping, no splashing, no bombs, no swimming, <laughs> no smiling, no having fun. I mean, like, and I'm like, are you kidding me? What's the point of being here? And unfortunately, that's how many present Christianity. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. That, that's not Christianity. I don't want to be known for what I don't do. I want to be known for what we do do. Did you hear that? I said do do. <laughs> we don't want to be known as a bunch of people that you're not allowed to do this. No running, no swimming, no smashing, no bombing. No bombing. You know, as a young kid, all the no's became a challenge. <laughs> and, you start thinking, and you start you start reading into it thinking, by no bombing, do they mean no small bombs? Because I can do big bombs. <laughs> Maybe I can impress them so they'll just be so overwhelmed with the magnitude of the bomb. I say, oh, well done. That's great. <laughs> it just became, all the no's became a challenge. And I think the way we've been taught to live God's way, it becomes a challenge. Such is the nature in us. The Bible talks about us having a sinful nature and it's there from birth. You don't have to treat, uh, teach anybody to do the wrong thing. Have you noticed that? Any of us have had kids, and we've got three kids, and they're beautiful, they're wonderful, they're great. But every one of them, we've had to teach them how to live. There's certain things we've had to teach them. I mean, how many of us have kids that just sit there, do all the right things, put their dishes away, ask mum, what can I do to help you? I mean, you know, that can come through teaching. But for the most part, that doesn't come naturally. Wouldn't it be great if there was a broken vase and the child that broke it came and said, I'm so sorry, I broke the vase because I was playing ball in the house when I know I shouldn't have because you've told me not to play ball. Wouldn't that make our job as parents real easy? But this is what happens. The kid who's broken the vase with the ball hides the ball. Hides the vase. 
And that's like nothing happened. And waits for mum to find out that the vase is not there. And then there's this interrogation. And can I just say, if you've only got, if you've only got one child, you're not a real parent. <laughs> I mean, you are. But your parenting is made easy. Because the hardest part about raising children is not the disciplining. It's finding out who did it to know who to discipline. <laughs> That's the hard thing about parenting. It's getting through all the rubbish to find out who's responsible. So if you only have one child, you know who's responsible. But when you've got a few kids, I mean, for Pete, it just must take him forever. <laughs> but my money's on Michaela. I would always start with Michaela in his family. I would. <laughs> Just a word of wisdom there, Pete. And so we don't want to present Christianity as a whole heap of rules of what not to do. And Paul's not saying that here. For everything he says not to do and to put off, he tells us what to do and why. That's teaching 101. If you want to raise children, if you want to raise disciples, don't just tell them what they're not allowed to do. All you'll do is flare up the sin nature in us. We have to present not just what not to do, but what to do and why. We need to present the why behind the what. And that's what Paul so skillfully does here in Ephesians. He says, don't lie. What's the opposite of lying? He says, speak the truth. Speak the truth. Lying is a comment that is made that is said with the intent to deceive or impress. You can say something that is not true but not be lying. If my watch has stopped and someone asks me the time and I don't know it's stopped and I say oh, it's four o'clock when it's actually six, I'm not lying. I didn't tell the truth but I'm not lying. Can you get that? Lying is when you know something and withhold truth to get somebody in trouble or to impress somebody. And so when someone says, hey, Tony, and this happens all the time with pastors. Everyone wants to know how large your church is. How, how, how many people are in your church? I say, oh, gee, at last count between three and 4,000. I'm not lying but it's not true. I've said something in a way to lead you to believe something that's not true. Because when I say between three and 4,000, it's true. It's called a half-truth, which is actually a full lie. And we are great at it. And Paul's saying, stop it, you're deceiving people. And when you deceive people, that's not helping. We are a body. The church is a body. And when we deceive one another, it's unhelpful. So instead, speak the truth in love. There are times when things happen, and things always happen where there are people are concerned, and we have an opportunity to speak the truth in love. And if we don't, we deceive them hurt them, distort the truth. And that doesn't help anybody. So Paul's saying, please lovingly stop lying. Speak the truth. 
Because without the truth, you're hurting yourself and you're hurting others. That's not legalism. That makes makes sense. It's It's our responsibility as parents. It's our responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ to help one another. And we're only helping each other if we speak the truth. I'm forever speaking truth into people's lives and, and thankfully it's received so well much of the time, but then it's unfortunately at times it's not. It's one of the hardest things to do to speak the truth when you know it might hurt somebody. That's why you need to attach it with love. And if you're receiving truth that you don't like, ask yourself this question, does this person love me? Why don't we start with that? Instead of, this is what we start with, and this is what Paul's addressing. We start with, that hurt me. That's not the issue. The issue is, does this person love you? We'd be much better to start with that and then listen to the truth so that we can move on. I thank God that I've had people in my world that have been able to speak the truth in love to me. Because those people saw things in me that I didn't see in myself. And so they addressed me accordingly. And it's amazing. People ask me all the time, man, how did you get to be where you are? You're a certain age, doing a certain thing, and and, uh, there's a measure of success in that for some people. But if I could say, outside of Jesus, his word, and prayer, and all those spiritual disciplines, the number one reason that I'm doing what I'm doing is because of the people in my world. The people who have loved me enough to tell me what I needed to hear. I've often gone on about my dad, and you know I love him and I honor him. And he's now uh, 87 years of age, and uh, he's still got a fire in his belly, which is awesome. How, how old is he? 78. I, I just, what did I say? 87. He's 78, sorry. Just. What is he, 78? But I, I don't know how much you appreciate Kath. I do. I, I love Kath. I appreciate her. But, you know, just before we got married, there was a young lady that came from overseas, and uh, she liked me, and I, and I liked the attention she was giving me. And, and you've you got to listen to this. I want you to listen. How did I get where I'm at today? Because there are people in the, my world that were willing to speak the truth in love. And you know what? I just enjoyed the attention. This young, blonde uh, girl from Denmark, and she just liked me. I mean, it's understandable. <laughs> and I liked her liking me. I didn't like her, I liked her liking me. I was never alone with this girl, I never kissed this girl. Certainly never touched her. But in the enjoyment of the attention that I was receiving, it hurt Kath. And I'm sure there are others that were close to me at that time that saw it. But they didn't say anything. But one man did. My dad. And he not only saw it, but he loved Kath enough 
and he loved me enough not to let it go. And I'll never forget it. I was in the shed, and Dad just came at me. It went like from rainbows and butterflies to hailstorm. It's just like, it's just like, and Dad was in my face. He's pointing his finger in my face, saying, What? Like, honestly, without dobbing my dad in or condoning certain language, dad was not happy that day. And so, without repeating everything he said, the gist of it went like this What are you doing? Stop being so stupid. Now, these aren't the words of love, are they? He said this, I love that girl. I mean, what about me? <laughs> Stop messing her around. And he was ticked. I hadn't been alone with her. Hadn't kissed her. But someone loved me enough to get in my face to stop a disaster happening. How did I get here? Because I've always had men in my world willing to do that. And by God's grace, I've always been able to see it for what it is. And I didn't start with that hurt. I started with, does dad love, does dad love me? Yes, he does. Is that an easy thing to do? No, it's not. Why did he do it? Because he's got the best in mind for me. And this is what Paul's addressing here. Lying, anger, stealing, unwholesome talk. What's the opposite of anger? Peace. What's the opposite, uh, opposite of stealing? Working with your hands. Come on, get a job. That's what Paul's saying. Get a job. Work with your hands. Unwholesome talk. Words that are edifying and encouraging and uplifting. Man, gossip has become, become so commonplace, we don't even know we're doing it anymore. That's why we need people to point it out. Because no no one, very few people pick themselves up when they're gossiping. Say, oh, I'm gossiping. And unfortunately, very few people respond well if you do pick them up. They say, I'm not gossiping. I'm just, I'm just letting you know the information that you might need to know in order to be able to deal with this situation better. No, you're not. People gossip in their prayers. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting? Father, I bring this woman to you. We need to pray for her because she's been sleeping around with this guy. And, you know, we know this upsets you, Lord, and we really do love her and we're for her, but she keeps on doing it, Lord. So don't be bitter. Don't be bitter. What's the opposite of bitterness? Paul says it's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. I love you too much to live in unforgiveness. If I, if I, if I sense or smell or sniff unforgiveness, I'm going to point it out. And Paul loves the church enough to share this. And I hope you hear my heart as I've shared these things this morning that it's from a heart of love that wants the very best for you.
And in order for us to move forward as a church on a daily basis, we've got to put off the old way of living and embrace the new way. It's got to be truth for lie. I wish I had a magical wand that I could just wave over you. It's just not like, it's going to be a battle. And some of you, as you look at that list that was up there, some of you are like, I'm just not a liar. It's just, this is not my thing. That's great. But I think there was enough things on that list for must us to do a bit of homework. If you've if you're got homework for all five, well, so be it. But when I was reading about stealing, I mentioned Pete's name because he's told the story publicly that when he was younger, he took a lot of stuff. He took a lot of stuff and he got convicted about it many years later and went back to that same store and offered them a lot of money just to make up for it. He didn't do the right thing. But because he was in a new kingdom, a new culture, a new way of living, he was able to go back and make amends. You can't do this life without making mistakes, but we can make up for it. Every one of us today can say, go to somebody. As, as we've been convicted under the Holy Spirit in this meeting, say, you know what, yesterday, that conversation I had with you, I'm sorry. We can't bring yesterday back, but we can change it. We can change the power that yesterday had by what we do today. We can set people free. We can help people through by just owning our part. I want you to know, my attitude towards you has been really bad. I'm so sorry. I can't, we, we can't bring back all the bad attitude and the days, but we can bring back a new start. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. God bless.